In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> no, I'm not John the Baptist. I'm Anne the Anglican. <laughs> but I'd like you to think of me today as Charlie Batch. <clears throat> if you know that person, you will understand that that gives you a clue about why I'm here. First, God gave John the Baptizer a game plan for Advent, for us. Then last week, Father Millard called it, and this week, it's me. No new game plan. The play is, be sure we hear the call of the prophet John. But let's understand that in the Bible, a prophet is not somebody who reads tea leaves or writes horoscopes. A prophet is a person who speaks the word of God into their contemporary society. It's also important to note that the Hebrew prophets were not speaking to worshipers of Isis. They were speaking to God's people. And today... That's us. You know the big names of the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, can you go on? Yes, up to Malachi. And yes, there were women prophets. Deborah, Philip's four daughters. What an interesting family that must have been. <laughs> and just, just in case you think God has no sense of humor... There was an old lady prophet who was the same age I am. She was 84 years old, and her name was? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> As Father Millard said last week, we may assume that Old Testament prophets have nothing to say to Christians in the 21st century. After all, they lived in older, simpler times. All they know was war, violence, corrupt officials, dishonest business practices, dysfunctional families, exploitation of workers, abuse, adultery, drunkenness, lying, greed, injustice, and the slaughter of innocent children. Finally, along comes John and he says, enough already. You nest of poisonous snakes. Now there's an attention getter. I don't think you learned that in homiletics class. But that's what a prophet does. Slap the people in the face to get their attention and then deliver a two-part message, a warning and hope. The warning, repent. Repent? Who? What's that mean? And why should I? Well, if you're new to our tradition, you may find it odd that we have a prayer of confession in every service, when a lot of churches never have a prayer of confession. Well, are we morbid? No. <laughs> We're realistic. We understand that the goal of the Christian life is to become more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit does that, but the transformation is usually not instantaneous. <clears throat> it takes time. And we don't want anything to get between us and God, 
So along the way, we took a hard look. We take a hard look at our thoughts, words, and deeds and acknowledge that we have fallen short or gone wrong in what we have done and in what? That'll get you. And what's our next line? We are, and we, that's two different things. It's possible to be sorry and not repentant. Three weeks ago, a prominent senior member, a highly respected, honored senior member of our state legislature was sentenced to thousands and thousands of dollars of restitution and 16 months in jail for the misuse of taxpayer money. And at his sentencing, his statement was, I'm embarrassed. A mother locks her two kids in the car and sends them down the hill into the lake to drown. And she comes onto TV and weeps, I'm not a bad person. A high-profile adulterer says, nobody's perfect. I made a mistake. Three college students cheat on an exam. The professor calls them in one by one, and they all say exactly the same thing. I knew it was wrong, but that isn't me. And the professor looked each one of them in the eye and said, oh, yeah, it is. That's you. When I was a little child, we always had a tall Christmas tree with an angel on the top. And I remember that one time, and I must have been very small, because I crawled back behind the Christmas tree. Why, I do not know, but anyway, I did. And I was just looking at the tree. And you know what happened? I heard whoosh, tingle, jingle, 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 jingle. And over went the tree. And when my mother came in to see what had happened, I said, the angel did it. <laughs> Massive denial. Let's get real. Who needs to repent? All of us, unless you're perfect, in which case, bless you. Go get a cookie. But if repentance is not being sorry, what is it? Well, I've told this story before, but it's still the best one I know. I am a great fan of Garrison Keillor. And my sister and her family live in Akron. Garrison Keillor was coming to Akron, so we were going to have a big family dinner, and we bought tickets, and we were going to go and have a wonderful evening at B.J. Thomas Theater with Garrison Keillor. And I was so psyched for this. And on that day, I got dressed up, and I got into my car, and I started off... And I was driving merrily along, singing, I think. And I realized I was heading for Philadelphia, <laughs> which is there. And where's Akron? There. I was truly sorry. <laughs> but sorry didn't get me there. I had to turn that car around and head in a different direction or I was going to miss the whole thing because Garrison Keillor was going to come whether I was ready or not. So that's repentance. If you're traveling in the wrong direction, 
turned around and head in the other direction. Head towards your goal, head towards your king. Be ready to cheer when he arrives. You'll hit some bumps and some detours along the way, but with Jesus as your GPS, that's your godly position system, you'll get to the party. But how do you know whether you're headed in the right direction? Okay, remember the prophet's job to speak the word of God into the contemporary society. So you and I are going to look at America today. What do we see? And where are we in the picture? We'll get a better view if we can detach a bit. As it happens, thanks to my dazzling technical skills, I have been able to hack into a report filed by a visitor from another planet. Let me read you the report. I have translated it. Earth date, November 23rd and 24th, 2012. On my planet, we have picked up signals of a sudden upsurge of activity and intensity among American Earthlings. We know that they boast of their power, so what are they up to? I was sent to investigate. Here are my notes. Americans observe a special day called Black Friday. This is apparently an ironic reversal of a Christian day called Good Friday. On Black Friday, I saw 47 million Americans who the previous day had been counting their blessings invade their marketplaces in a frenzy to acquire still more possessions. The data reveal that in that same weekend, Americans made 139 million transactions in stores or online, and another 17 million on Monday when they were presumably back at work. While I was amassing these data, on Black Friday, out of the corner of my eye, I saw smoke, and I looked, and there in Burma was a textile factory in flames, killing the workers whose salaries were 21 cents an hour. Just a few hours later, I saw more smoke and heard screams coming from Bangladesh. There, 122 women were burning to death, trapped in another textile factory. Was there a Black Friday connection? I learned that those sweatshops were major suppliers for popular American labels. Despite my galactic intelligence, I am unable to make sense of this situation. Here's my prime example of conflicting signals. An American dwelling has on its lawn a garish display designed to poke holes in the ozone layer. In one area, the central figure is an icon of an aged fat man in a red suit, accompanied by horned beasts and slaves clad in green. 
Ceaselessly, he intones, ho, ho, ho. I have not been able to interpret that chant. On another part of the same lawn, the central icon is an infant earthling. He seems to be poverty-stricken, for he is clad in large rags, but like the old fat man, he is attended by animals and slaves. He says nothing, but his area vibrates with a blaring rendition of a piece mysteriously entitled Silent Night. This bifurcated example suggests that Americans serve two masters. Though their sacred text says it can't be done, and their master teacher warned against it. My notes record a multitude of such mixed signals. Sales and shepherds, Merry Virgin and Merry Christmas, wise men and Wi-Fi. So I returned to my planet to report that although American earthlings are indeed stressed and frantic, conflicted and exhausted, they do not pose a threat to us. They are killing themselves. That was Thanksgiving weekend. What would our planetary reporters say of us this weekend? When he saw 20 innocent children slaughtered and many others terrorized, weeping, frightened, doomed to nightmares, It reminded me of Herod slaughtering the innocents when he was out to kill baby Jesus. Do you remember that? And a cry went up from Jerusalem. Rachel, the mother of Israel, Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be comforted. What has all this to do with repentance? I'll let you figure that out. But at the very least, it all raises a couple questions. God has called us individually and collectively to be his holy people, his presence in the world until Christ comes again. So we have to ask, is there anything we've done or left undone. And we have to ask, how does God expect Christians, his holy people, to be his holy people, personally and corporately, in a pagan world? John can help us here. After he slaps the crowd in the face to get their attention, he gets specific. They ask, what do they do? And he answers, if you have two coats, give one to somebody who doesn't have a coat. And the same with food. Share it. Okay, let's all take a minute to picture the closets and coat hangers in our house. How many coats are hanging there? How many do I actually need? And food. I go to Giant Eagle, and you know what I see? 
rows of colored water, water in bottles, water of different colors, but basically water in bottles. And I go to the next aisle and I see yard after yard of very sophisticated pet food. And we have neighbors right here and around the world who would be thankful for that food and for any clean water. This is not a suggestion to pitch in a dollar to the Salvation Army kettle. John calls us to radical generosity. Radical generosity. Do you realize how not new this is? John was speaking to Jews who had gotten this message for centuries. So have we. They know what God expects of them. So do we. We know it. Christ our Savior never gave us a choice between faith and works. That argument would come 1,500 later, years later. He never indulged in that argument. He assumed that our faith would naturally produce works. So John calls you and me, the family of God, to practice radical generosity as a life principle. Then he deals with a couple of vocational questions. Tax collectors and soldiers come to him with the same question. What shall we do? And he says to the tax collectors, don't rip off the taxpayers. And to the soldiers, he says, don't extort money and threaten people. But you'll notice he didn't say, quit your job. He said, be God's person in your job. That hits every one of us. Because whatever circumstances we are in, there are potential sins peculiar to that situation. I used to be a college professor. Do you imagine that in that rarefied atmosphere there were no temptations? I would look at a pile of essays and wonder, why didn't I give true and false? <laughs> Shall I just give the undeserved A rather than suffer the complaint from the sullen student and the irate parent? In faculty senate, shall I speak my conscience or shall I play it safe? Students, you are in a system where cheating is a way of life. The church has not taught you a view of work and the society tells you that you're not there to learn, you're there to get a grade, whatever it takes. Supervisors and managers, do you see your people as people or as units of labor? Professionals, all of you have some ways of possibly compromising your integrity, don't you? Parents, in your calling as parent, you can abuse your responsibility or you can abdicate it because you're afraid your kids won't love you. All of us right now, 
Can you identify one aspect of your life in which you could choose not to do the right thing? Because sin is a choice. So who needs to repent? All of us, unless you're already perfect. And what does repent mean? It means turn around. Choose to go God's way. That's the who and the what. There is one yet big, one question yet. Why? Well, the obvious answer is, if you were listening to John, Christ is coming again. The Lamb of God is coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is coming, we say in the creed, to do what? To judge the living and the dead. And if you don't know the importance of that, I would suggest that you hunt up Father Josh's sermon on hell and listen to it once again. But from the God side, why would God even call us to repent? I raise that question because some of us have the impression that God is an angry old man who can hardly wait to send us to hell. If that be true, we need to rewrite John 3.16, which I believe is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. If anybody knows it, how does it begin? God, stop. No, no. If God is an angry old man waiting to send you to hell, we need to rewrite that first part. God is so mad at the world. God despises you so much. God hates all of us so much. And if you do that, the rest of the, sentence, the verse makes no sense whatever, does it? God's call to repentance is not a fit of anger. It's a cry of heartbreak. It's a cry of heartbreak. Stop. Come back. Our God, whose will is our life and whose sole motive is love, says through the prophet Isaiah, what more is there to do for you than I've already done? It's the voice of Jesus weeping over the city. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. How often, how often. I wanted to rescue you, and you wouldn't let me. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit within. You know you're headed the wrong direction. You're headed for death. You're dying. Turn around. You know, if you saw one of our precious children running out into the street in the path of a truck you would leap out in front of that truck and thrust that child to safety and give your life. You know you would. That's what God has done for us in Christ. That's the overflowing love Father Millard preached about last week. And once we are immersed in that love of God, not of ourselves, our love will flow to a love-starved world. And there will be joy. 
The third Advent calendar, uh, candle is pink because in an older tradition, in olden days when people seriously repented during Advent, uh, they would light the pink candle in the midst of the purple ones as a sign of hope and joy. It was called in Latin gaudita, which means rejoice. That's why the pink candle on Advent 3. And you will have joy when you finally get it and dump your sin at the foot of the cross, leave it there for pity's sake, and walk tall and free as God's chosen son or daughter. That's joy. And it gives God joy. Here again, our Old Testament lesson from Zion, Zephaniah. Listen to this. Do not fear. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will sing over you. You personally. With loud singing as on the day of a festival. At this very moment, there lies in a hospital a Geneva College student who 10 days ago was mowed down in a crosswalk. For six days, she lay in a coma, totally unresponsive. But hear this. That whole time, her parents were at her bedside. And they would speak to her and they would sing to her. And when they sang over her, her heartbeat got steady and slowed down. Her body heard the song. This morning, deep in your heart, do you hear your Heavenly Father singing over you? And can you sing back to him? When my nephew Andrew was a tiny baby, his father would pick him up and hold him up like this beside his own head. And he would hum a note. Hmm. Hum my note back to me. Hmm. Ah. Andrew, just a few months old, couldn't even talk yet would hum that note back to his father. Can you know, can you imagine how that gladdened his father's heart? This morning, can you hear your father, your heavenly father's note and sing it back to him? And can we sing his song into a world that desperately needs to hear it. Let's each one of us ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we need to repent. Then embrace God's love and come to the table here to receive his life. Amen.